Seattle's black female police chief quits as the city council cuts her salary. America looks for a new normal as the media continue pushing COVID panic. And Joe Biden makes final VP preparations. I'm B-Shep, and this is B-Shep in the His House. Today's Ben Shapiro show, B-Shep in the Hizzy, is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your online activity shouldn't be public. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Ben. All righty, so... There's actual news happening as the world turns and things actually happen and people discover that occasionally I read rap lyrics on this show. Well, I mean, people find things out on the internet all the time, don't they? You know, like several years late. So in any case, our cities are burning. So there's that. The cities continue to burn. But the good news is that all the good white liberals over in Seattle have now basically forced the resignation of the black female Seattle police chief, which makes perfect sense because She was really bad at her job in that she actually wanted to police crime. And the people of Seattle don't want her to police crime, or at least the city council does not want her to police crime. And so they've now forced her resignation. Her name is Carmen Best. And she has spent an awful lot of time pointing out that the that the Seattle City Council has basically allowed crime to run roughshod through the city, that they allowed the setting up of an alternative republic chess shop in the middle of Seattle. Now she is out. So the good white folks, the good white woke liberals have decided that in the name of racial justice, the black female police chief of Seattle had to go. We'll get to that in just one second. First, with everything going on right now, a lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. The answer, of course, is yes. It is still easy to shop for life insurance right now. If you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. It is the responsible thing to do. Right now, you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. When you are shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, those savings really do start to add up. What is Policy Genius? Well, it's an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts. Here's how it works. Step one, you head on over to PolicyGenius.com in minutes. You can work out how much coverage you need, and then you compare quotes from the top insurers and you find your best price. Step two, you apply for the lowest price. Step three, Policy Genius does the entire rest of it, like soup to nuts, the whole thing. They even have policies that allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, and you don't want to get the kind that your friend just told you about. You actually want to go competitively shop and get the best kind. Go to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 1500 bucks or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it is nice to get it right. Go check them out right now. Policygenius.com. So, as I mentioned, the Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best has now stepped down. According to the Q13Fox.com at Seattle Fox, Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best is going to resign. Two sources familiar with her decision confirmed to Brandy Cruz of Q13. The decision comes after the Seattle City Council voted to slash the department's budget and voted to slash her particular salary by like $100,000. So it was great. The, the white person who occupied her position before was being paid $100,000 more. They had to make sure the black lady got her salary cut by $100,000 so a bunch of woke white people could run roughshod through the city and or a racialized army could take over the middle of Seattle for two months on end and then shoot people and prevent the police from getting in. So well done, everybody in Seattle. The council on Monday approved proposals that would reduce the police department by up to 100 officers through layoffs and attrition. Chief Best was vocal in her opposition to the cuts. Budget cuts approved by the council will eliminate nearly $4 million of the department's $400 million annual budget. While the cuts fell well short of what Black Lives Matter protesters were demanding, council members pledged further cuts in 2021. A call to Chief Best went unanswered on Monday night, and Mayor Jenny Durkin's office did not immediately respond to a call seeking comment. She was the first black woman to lead the SPD. She said, 
about the proposal to cut her pay by 40%, quote, I do feel like it's animus toward me specifically. She is well-respected by the rank and file inside the department. I remember when she was hired and there was controversy over whether she was going to be soft on crime. And she obviously was not because nobody in Seattle is soft on crime enough. Nobody in Seattle is soft on crime enough. Carmen Best certainly was not. And so Carmen Best has to go. And then it's amazing. The media wonder, why in the world is crime spiking all over the United States? Why is crime spiking all over the United States? Well, I have a couple of ideas of why crime is spiking all over the United States. So do the folks over at The Daily Caller. Peter Hassan, who writes for The Daily Caller, has a good report today talking about how left-wing prosecutors are basically letting criminals off the hook in major cities around the United States. According to the Daily Caller News Foundation, left-wing prosecutors have implemented soft-on-crime approaches to criminal justice across America, in some instances, making it a matter of policy in major cities not to prosecute specific crimes. A common, though not universal, feature of prominent left-wing district attorneys is the backing of political organizations funded by George Soros. And let me note, the criticism of George Soros here is not because he is Jewish. The criticism is because he is awful in the organizations he chooses to fund in the United States. He's just as up for that criticism as anybody else. Cook County, Illinois, State Attorney Kimberly Fox, whose jurisdiction includes Chicago, took office in 2017 after winning her election with the help of a Soros-funded super PAC. Soros poured more than $400,000 into Illinois Justice and Public Safety PAC in 2016, Illinois State Board of Election Records show. She was the only candidate Fox the PAC supported in 2016. She announced in December 2016 that her office would not charge shoplifters with felonies unless they either had more than 10 previous felony convictions. 10 previous felony convictions or if they stole more than $1,000 worth of goods, the previous lower level was $300. Store owners blamed Fox's policies in December 2019 for what they said was a string of brazen thefts targeting their businesses. And then Fox announced in June she wouldn't prosecute protesters charged with minor crimes like curfew violations and disorderly conduct. Multiple analyses of Fox's record have, show, have found significant decreases in prosecutions since she took office. The Chicago Tribune on Monday reported that Fox dropped all charges against 30% of all defendants in her first three years in office. Her predecessor, a woman named Anita Alvarez, who was a Democrat and also soft on crime, dropped charges against 20% of defendants in her final three years on the job. A separate study from the Marshall Project, a nonprofit supporting criminal justice reform, found Fox dropped thousands of cases that would have been prosecuted by her predecessors, not just her. Suffolk County, Massachusetts, District Attorney Rachel Rollins, whose jurisdiction includes Boston, campaigned in 2018 on a list of 15 crimes her office would not prosecute as a matter of policy, including trespassing, wanton or malicious destruction of property, shoplifting, and larceny under $250. The Boston Herald reported in May 2019 an attempted shoplifter was shocked when he was arrested for allegedly pilfering more than $100 worth of goods from the local store. He didn't realize that he was outside Rollins's jurisdiction. He said he, he knew that he wouldn't be prosecuted thanks to Rollins' policies, but unfortunately, he was in the neighboring city. It's not just Rollins either. Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner is a former defense attorney who had never prosecuted a case before becoming Philadelphia's top prosecutor. George Soros put $1.45 million into a super PAC, super PAC backing Krasner in the Democratic primary in May 2017. He said in an NBC News podcast interview last month, law enforcement agencies point to repeat offenders as evidence of the need for harsher sentences, but... He says that he rejects that view. Quote, they'll list all of the arrests they've had, all the contacts they've had, as if what they are doing is explaining that these people are of terrible character. And that explains this phenomenon. But what they're not saying is the system has engaged this person, arrested this person 15 times, convicted them seven times, put them in jail four times, and nothing worked. It all failed. They're not owning that. So in other words, when a person is a repeat criminal to the tune of dozens of crimes, then that's not because the person's a bad person. It's because the system is a bad system, which is totally wild. And is it any shock? 
that homicides this year in Philadelphia are up 30% compared to the same time period last year. It should not be. In San Francisco, District Attorney Chase Bowden pledged during his campaign that certain quality of life crimes, including public urination, would not be prosecuted by his office. So people peeing freely and, and doing heroin on the streets of San Francisco. It's all great. Bowden said in a July 2019 interview that he would challenge the legitimacy of laws by not bringing certain charges. He said the types of charges a DA declines to bring has a ripple effect and changes the culture of a community, citing prostitution as an example of a crime he would not prosecute. He said he would not prosecute contraband charges that originated as minor traffic infractions. Also, he stopped using gang affiliation status in sentencing enhancements, so makes it easier for gangs. Really solid stuff at major cities across the United States. And then we wonder, why, are, why in the world is crime increasing across the board? Why? We're getting rid of the cops. And meanwhile, we have DAs who are pledging openly that they want to allow criminals to run roughshod through cities. I mean, wh- why? It's, it's just, it's all so puzzling. It's super duper puzzling. The New York Times, in fact, had a headline yesterday wondering openly what could have created this violence in Chicago. I mean, it's just, it's so confusing. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. I mean, it's, wow, we, we need Sherlock Holmes on this one. According to the New York Times, Chicago police arrested more than 100 people after looting batters downtown. This was just yesterday. All summer, demonstrators have marched through Chicago to protest police misconduct, reported the New York Times. In many neighborhoods, gun violence has been unrelenting, soaring to levels not seen in decades. The coronavirus pandemic is resurging, now sickening hundreds of people a day. Then, early Monday morning, hundreds of people spurred by a police shooting and by calls on social media to take action in the gleaming heart of the city converge on the Magnificent Mile, Chicago's most famous shopping district. They broke windows, looted stores, and clashed with the police. A chaotic and confusing scene that prompted city officials to briefly raise bridges downtown and halt nearby public transit to stem the unrest. Two people were shot. At least 13 police officers were injured. Apparently, people were literally on the upper levels of buildings, and they were throwing planters down on the heads of cops in Chicago, Okay, which is assault with a deadly weapon. The events instantly played into a broader political dynamic of the season in which President Trump has regularly portrayed Chicago as a poorly governed hotbed of violent crime. Yeah, it's about how Trump portrayed it. It's not that it's a poorly governed hotbed of violent crime. It's that Trump keeps preferring it that way. That's the real issue here. Republicans pounce, lots of pouncing. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a Democrat, expressed fury over the violence and ordered limited access to downtown starting on Monday evening. Apparently, they shut down Miracle, uh, they shut down Magnificent Mile between like 8 p.m. and 6 a.m., which is really good for business, obviously. Lightfoot still said, we don't need federal troops in Chicago, period, full stop. She said, everything is, is, is still, everything's still okay, She said at a news conference, we're waking up in shock this morning. What occurred downtown and in surrounding communities was abject criminal behavior, pure and simple. Oh, was it? Oh, was it? But when Mayor Lori Lightfoot was asked, for example, like maybe it's because you guys refuse to actually stop crime, that crime is rising in your city. She's like, stop baiting us. Stop baiting us, media. Stop that. It it almost sounds as though you're saying this is... The reason we have it is because the courts and the prosecutors were not doing their job, that they were going too easy on the looters from the last time around. Is, uh, am no, I don't take you? it from me. Greg, let's be clear. I mean, don't bait us, okay? No, do not bait us. Don't, do not bait us. This is a serious situation. People are concerned about their safety. I love that. The police superintendent was about to step, step in and be like, yes, that's exactly what we're saying. We're saying that you guys keep letting criminals out of jail. And that we are being hamstrung from doing our job. And then Lori Lightfoot is like, stop baiting us. Stop it. You're going to need to stop baiting us right now. That's not baiting. That's an honest question. By the way, aren't those attacks on a free press? Every time Trump gets a little bit mad at the media, 
every time he gets a little uppity with the media, Trump, then everybody's like, wow, that's an attack on a free press. Lori Lightfoot there, she's like, stop baiting us when somebody asks her a perfectly legit question about her own garbage policies. And everybody's like, well, you know, that's Lori Lightfoot, slay queen, slay. We'll get to more of this in a second. But by the way, the Chicago police superintendent, for his part, he was asked about this. He said, this is pure criminality. This has nothing to do with social justice. So we'll get to that in, here he was, here he was yesterday. 400 officers were dispatched to our downtown. As the officers arrived to our downtown, the first incident happened at a store near the 87th and the Dan Ryan Expressway. Soon, car caravans were headed into the loop. This was not an organized protest. Rather, this was an incident of pure criminality. This was an act of violence against our police officers and against our city. But don't worry, if we ask why that happened, that's the problem. As we'll see from the New York Times, people are puzzled, puzzled. Mm, How could any of this have happened in America's major cities? I mean, it's like when you remove the cops and you tell the criminals they can have free reign over the city, bad things happen, but it's a mystery. No one understands, guys. And if you say you understand, it's because you're baiting people. We'll get to that in just one second. First, it is time to point out that you need a nice watch. Okay, when we finally emerge from all of this, there is going to be a moment where people go out and they're having fun, and they're going to parties, and you want to have a nice watch. I am a timepiece guy. I love nice watches. But I understand that not everybody can afford like a $5,000 Rolex. Right? Some people just want a nice watch at a really good price. This is why I really enjoy my Vincero. Check out this Vincero watch right here. Got it. It's actually so thick that I have to unleash the, uh, the sleeve right here if I can get it out from under the sleeve. Here we go. Look at this Vincero watch. This is really pretty. Right? This is a very, very pretty watch. This is a, a chronograph from Vincero. It's really, really nice. Check this out. Here it is. Yeah, really nice. Why do I love Vincero? I'll tell you why I love Vincero. First, the price point is fantastic. Right? Pretty much anybody can afford what looks like a luxury watch for a non-luxury price. It is fantastic. These are watches that are stunning and well under $200. And they really do stand out. I mean, when I wear a Vincero watch, people ask me, what kind of watch it is because it is such a good-looking watch. Right now, Vincero is running a site-wide sale to celebrate their sixth anniversary. This will be the biggest sale in Vincero history, up to 30% off site-wide. No code required. Your discount will be automatically applied at checkout when you visit vincerowatches.com slash Shapiro. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com slash Shapiro. Vincerowatches.com slash Shapiro. Everything on site is on sale. No exclusions. This includes all four of their new collections. All of them are available. They're shipping all orders directly from their local U.S. distributors. They're delivering all orders on time, no delays. They want you to get your product to you as quickly as possible. There's no brand name markup. By the way, so much of luxury watch selling is about the brand name markup. No big time price tags. Their promise to you is very simple. Solid, well-made products that are durable. You'll enjoy wearing them and they're gonna look really great. Ventura offers free shipping, 30-day returns, guarantees your watch for two years, which is why they have over 22,000 five-star reviews. I mean, look at this thing, it's beautiful. I mean, it's shiny, it is well-crafted. And again, I I look for durability in watches because I have little kids. I only buy watches that are durable. Vincero, these are durable watches. Continue to support this brand as they continue to support the Ben Shapiro Show. Go to shop Vincero's sixth anniversary sale. The deal really is too good to pass up. Go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Shapiro. Don't pay full prices on these beautiful timepieces. Instead, go get a great Vincero watch right now. Take advantage of the opportunity. Get one of my go-to watches at a fantastic price right now. Right now, again, you go to vincerowatches.com slash Shapiro and you're going to get 30% up, uh, up to 30% off site wide, which is a fantastic, fantastic deal. Okay, so the New York Times is absolutely puzzled as to how this could have happened in New York. Listen, listen to the, the way this is covered. Quote, I mean, in Chicago, quote, 
The event left Chicagoans shaken and wondering what had sparked the burst of vandalism that destroyed storefronts and littered sidewalks with debris on one of the most recognizable avenues in the city. Since spring, downtown Chicago has often had a quiet, eerie feel without the hordes of tourists and commuters that usually fill the sidewalks, theaters, restaurants, and bars. Office vacancies remain high because of fears over COVID, and previous bouts of civil unrest earlier this summer have also kept crowds low. Reverend Corey Brooks, a pastor on Chicago's South Side, said these last few months have been tremendously difficult for a lot of people. People are hurting financially, emotionally, psychologically. There's a lot of suffering going on. What happened last night sets us back even more. It's so confusing. It's so confusing. What could have happened? In the light of day, there were many questions over whether the violence had resulted because of differing versions of what had happened in this police shooting. Okay, here's what happened. There's a 20-year-old guy in, in an alley. There's a report that he was running around with a gun. The cops arrived. He tried to shoot them, and then they shot him. Okay, that's what happened. Quickly, rumors started going around that they had shot a 15-year-old who was unarmed. And then people were like, you know what? Great opportunity to go smash and grab some stuff over in the middle of Chicago Loop. But it's, it's so mysterious. It's so mysterious. How could this have all happened? I mean, aside from the media that will immediately jump on any story of a black person being shot by the police and not wait for any of the details to come out. And a political class that will repeat lies about situations like that. I mean, Joe Biden yesterday was literally retweeting lies about Michael Brown's death in St. Louis. Okay, Michael Brown, it's been found by multiple different investigations, including the Obama DOJ, attacked a police officer and then tried to attack a police officer again before he was shot. Okay, and still, a Democratic factotum has become this idea that Michael Brown was an innocent who was shot in cold blood with his hands up. Okay, it is, it is, which is not true. So the combination of a media that is deeply irresponsible on racial issues and deeply irresponsible on the shootings that, that police sometimes are forced to do and a Democratic Party infrastructure that repeats open lies about what happens under many circumstances. That combination combined with, the, again, a deeply irresponsible media that pretends that rioting and looting are a legitimate form of protest and a Democratic Party that is willing to allow criminality to go unchecked. I, I can't imagine how that heady brew resulted in a rise in crime that is devastating cities across the country. Detroit's police chief, by the way, is saying the same thing. So crime is up in Detroit, which, again, crime being up in Detroit is, is like saying that the sun rises in the morning. And crime is always up in Detroit. So the fact that it's up even more in Detroit is, is disquieting. So Detroit's police chief, a guy named James Craig, he said, you know what's been happening here? Are these false narratives perpetuated by criminals and then repeated by the media, which, of course, is right. One of the things that we saw here in Detroit, almost eerily similar to what happened last night in Chicago, a false narrative was perpetrated by these criminals very quickly and indicated that a unarmed teen was shot and then called for people to come downtown loot. The one similarity is that the criminals tried to do the same thing here in Detroit about three weeks ago when our officers were fired upon and we ended up using deadly force. They put out a false narrative that we shot an unarmed African-American man seated on his porch. Totally and, false. Okay, and what have the media done to debunk these things? Nothing. All they do is they just light a fire under all of this. And then if you say, you know what, we need more cops, we need to stop the crime, then you're the bad guy. Now, here's the thing. It's not just conservative people saying this. As it turns out, there are lots of people who live in these cities who would like to see more cops. In fact, 81, according to a recent Gallup poll, 81% of black Americans say they want to see at least the same level of policing or more policing in their communities. That is not the narrative you'll hear from the media. That's not the narrative you're going to hear from Democrats. That's why you get all these white woke idiots in Seattle basically forcing the black female police chief out of her job in Seattle. And worth noting that in a huge number of America's major cities, if not a majority, a very large minority of the police force is itself minority. 
In Los Angeles, where the police are constantly criticized, a majority of the police force is minority. In Washington, D.C., a majority of the police force is minority. In New York City, about 50% of the police force is minority. In Chicago, about 50% of the police force is minority. Like, what, what are you talking about here? Like, the, the cops are systemically racist, and we remove the cops, and the criminals should be allowed free reign, and then the crime rates go up, and everybody's like, mystery, mystery. How could it have happened? The only people who don't like this stuff are the people who actually have to live in these cities. At a certain point, they're going to have to stop voting for, for damned morons if they want to have their city back. Because otherwise, as I, I, I'm more and more frequently quoting H.L. Mencken here, the American people get what they deserve good and hard. If you keep voting for the same politicians who do this kind of crap, then you shouldn't be surprised when they are breaking into the nicest areas of your city and smashing and grabbing things and shooting people in the worst parts of the city. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about how hiring can be kind of complicated these days. If you're looking for a job, it's a pretty rough job market. That means that you need to be notified of a job that you are eligible for like ASAP. And if you're an employer, you need to know about the best possible employees. This is why you need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter will send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter will scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then actively invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter makes the entire hiring process efficient and effective with features like screening questions to filter candidates and all-in-one dashboards where you can review and rate your candidates. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. All of my employees feel the threat. All of my employees know that if they don't do their job, then one day they could find themselves out and we could be looking on ZipRecruiter for their replacement. I mean, if we had an employee named Nick who just every morning just brought in memes of me rapping, you know, he could find himself very quickly ZipRecruitered. Right now to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Go check them out right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Okay, so it turns out that it is not merely conservatives who are upset about, you know, the rising crime in the cities. It turns out that there are a lot of black lawmakers who are not particularly fond of the idea that the cops are the problem. According to the New York Times, with New York City on the cusp of cutting $1 billion from the police department, a city councilwoman, Vanessa Gibson, told her colleagues enough was enough. She acknowledged some council members, spurred by the movement to defund police, were seeking to slash even more from the department's budget. But she pointed out her constituents did not agree. They want to see cops in the community, said Miss Gibson. By the way, why did it take the New York Times months to report on this? Months? Why was it that for months it was the cops were the bad guys? And then, oh, you know, maybe we ought to ask some, you know, actual black people living in heavily crime-ridden areas, like what they think about the cops. Maybe, maybe we ought to, like, survey that as opposed to surveying the, po- the heavily white population of the New York Times editorial board. Maybe we should stop asking Paul Krugman about policing in the inner cities. And maybe we should start asking... You know, the impoverished person living in a crime-ridden area who just wants a job and to raise their children in safety. Well done, mainstream media. Well done. Ms. Gibson said they want to see cops in the community. They don't want to see excessive force, but they want to be safe as they go to the store. Ms. Gibson is not a conservative politician speaking on behalf of an affluent district. She's a liberal black Democrat who represents the West Bronx. Her stance reflects a growing ideological rift over policing in one of the country's liberal bastions. It is a clash across racial, ideological, and generational lines that is dividing black and Latino council members in New York City. The discord illustrates how complicated the nation's struggle with its legacy of racial oppression and discriminatory policing has become. No, what it really reflects is the fact that the media refuse to cover the fact that cops generally do a very, very good job and keep people safe. Which is why, again, it is an 8 to 2 proposition in the black community. Same number of police or more. That is an 80-20 proposition. Now, if you, if you just watch the media coverage over the past few months, you'd think it's an 80-20 proposition the other way, that black Americans are desperate to get the cops out. 
That is not correct. It has not been correct for decades. Hey, what might have been justifiable in a time when the cops were literally an instrument of racial oppression, particularly in the Jim Crow South. It has not been true for decades in the United States when the chief methodology of relieving poverty is ensuring that people can go to work without their store being robbed, that their kids can go to school without being shot by a gang member. Lori Combo, a black councilwoman from Brooklyn who's a majority leader, compared calls to defund the police to colonization pushed by white progressives. Correct, correct. It is a bunch of asshat white woke leftists who are pushing policies that hurt disproportionately minority populations. Robert Carnegie Jr., a black councilman, called the movement political gentrification. Mayor Ross Baraka of Newark, New Jersey, called defunding the police a bourgeois liberal solution for addressing systemic racism. <laughs> yeah, no, no bleep, Sherlock. Correct. During the debate, black and Latino council members representing both poor and middle-class communities of color, including Brownsville, Brooklyn, and Jamaica, Queens, wanted to take a measured approach to, cu- measured approach to cutting the police budget. White progressives, allied with some Latino council members from gentrifying and racially mixed neighborhoods, and two black council members called for more aggressive reductions and reforms. Of course, of course they did. So the people who are least affected by bad policy are the ones who are calling for the greatest change. Who could have predicted such a thing? We definitely need to hear from upper-class communist mayor Bill de Blasio talking about the needs of of lower-income black Americans living in high-crime gang-infested areas. Clearly, we need to hear from Bill de Blasio. We must. We need to hear from the all-white team over at The Nation on this. When, When can we hear from the Daily Coast? Very, very important stuff. By a 32 to 17 vote, the council, with Mr. Bill de Blasio's support, eventually passed an $88.2 billion budget that included a reduction in police funding. The $1 billion cut was mostly cosmetic, moving responsibilities from the PD to other agencies. The size of the force will barely change, says the New York Times. Nearly all the no votes were cast by white conservatives opposed to reductions or white and Latino council members who wanted deeper cuts. Corey Johnson, council speaker, said he would have preferred to cut more, but he wanted to defer to his black and Latino colleagues who raised concerns about the safety of their neighborhoods. Well, if you wanted to defer to them, why wouldn't you increase the funding for cops? That's what you need. How it became, honestly, how it became a controversial proposition that high crime areas require more police officers, it's dereliction of media duty, but that is what we've been watching because the narrative matters far, far more than the reality of people living lives in health and happiness, guaranteed the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. It remains an absolutely incredible feat that boggles the imagination that so many white woke leftists have been able to completely ignore the actual needs that every American citizen deserves for law and order. It isn't, law and order is not a racist slogan. Law and order is the way that you prevent predation. Okay, predation against all Americans. In just a second, we're going to get to bizarre news from Russia. Russia is now saying that they have a vaccine for COVID. Suffice it to say that uh, I have doubts. I have some doubts. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about a great gift, something great that you can get for your parents. No, I'm not talking about the latest Cardi B album. I'm talking about something fantastic you can do for your family. Remember family? Family's great. I'm talking about Legacy Box. It's a super simple mail-in service to have all your videotapes, camcorder tapes, film reels, pictures digitally preserved on a thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud. Are your family's memories trapped on an old camcorder or film reels? When's the last time that you popped out a camcorder cassette, you put it in one of those old VHS things, and then you put it in a VCR? You don't own any of those things anymore. Instead, you need all this stuff digitized so you can watch it and so you can relive it. Legacy Box is a way for you to easily and affordably digitally preserve your past. In fact, my parents right now are going through their garage. They came across a bunch of boxes of stuff. 
I immediately went to Legacy Box. I got them a bevy of boxes so they can have all of that stuff preserved for themselves and for future generations. Get started future-proofing your memories today so you can gather the family and begin the trip down memory lane. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Get an incredible 40% off your first order. You can buy it today. And then, doesn't matter if it takes you a few weeks to collect all the stuff. You send it in when you're ready. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Save 40% while supplies last. Again, really meaningful gift. Something deeply important. LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Get an incredible 40% off your first order while supplies last. Go check them out right now. Okay, meanwhile, in COVID land, Russia now says that they have approved a coronavirus vaccine for use in tens of thousands of its citizens, despite international skepticism about injections that have not completed clinical trials and were studied in only dozens of people for less than two months, according to the AP. Now, Russia has sort of a national interest in presenting itself as the leader on the on the bleeding edge of fighting COVID. Vladimir Putin in unsurprising fashion, announced that he'd injected his own daughter with this thing, which, given the history of uh, Russian leaders and their treatment of their own children, is not supremely surprising. Putin said while announcing the approval, one of his two adult daughters was already inoculated. He said the vaccine underwent the necessary tests and was shown to provide lasting immunity to COVID. Russian authorities have, to this point, offered zero proof to back up their claims of safety or effectiveness. He says, I know it has proven efficient and forms a stable immunity. Scientists in Russia and other countries sounded an alarm. They said, um, you haven't even had like a phase three trial yet. Right? There's, phase one is like you develop a vaccine. Phase three is where you have widespread human trials. They haven't even done that like at all. Fast tracked approval will not make Russia the leader in the vaccine race. It will just expose consumers of the vaccine to unnecessary danger, said Russia's Association of Clinical Trials Organization. They urged the government to postpone clearing the vaccine without completing advanced trials. The vaccine developed by the Gamalaya Institute in Moscow uses a different virus, the common cold-causing adenovirus that's been modified to carry genes for the spike protein that coats the coronavirus as a way to prime the body to recognize if a real COVID-19 infection comes along that is similar to the vaccines being developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca. Well, we're going to find out in pretty short order whether this thing works or whether Russia is just rushing out an untested vaccine in order to, quote, unquote, win the race. Russia apparently is going to inject all its healthcare workers with this thing. So that's a little scary. Uh, another reason why Russia is not, in fact, a wonderful place to live. Meanwhile, there's some serious talk now about, you know, how we actually live with this thing, how we live with it. Because the reality is that even when a vaccine is developed, we don't know it will be 100% effective. We don't know how many people will take it. We don't know how long it will be effective for. There's still lots of questions here. Now, people are upbeat about the possibility of a vaccine. The G Goldman Sachs was suggesting yesterday that the vaccine would be developed by Q2 of 2021. Well, last I checked the calendar, it is only Q3 right now of 2020. So that is a long time when we're all supposed to basically, what, hide in our houses and cower in silence. And that's really silly. I've been pointing out for months, 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 months at this point, that there is a vast difference between if you are 20 and you get COVID and you are 80 and you get COVID. You get 80, you're 80 and you get COVID, solid chance it kills you. If you're 20 and you get COVID, you ain't dying from it. Statistically speaking, the number of people who have died from COVID at age 20 is minute. It is minute. In fact, if you compare the the chances of death at age 80 from COVID to the chances of death for each prior 20 years, just cut it by about 10 times. So you are 10 times less likely to die of COVID if you are 60 than if you are 80. You're 100 times less likely to die of COVID if you are 40 than if you are 80. And you are 1,000 times less likely to die of COVID if you are 20 than if you are 80. Which is to say, if you're 20, you're not... You're, Statistically speaking, you're not dying of COVID. Like it, it, There are rare occasions in which people will die of COVID at the age of 20 to pretend that this acts as some sort of rationale for shutting down society for 20-year-olds is utterly nuts. It's utterly nuts. And 
We should also be very skeptical of people who suggest that when a 20 year old gets COVID and then doesn't die of COVID and is basically fine of COVID, something terrible has happened. When a young person obtains COVID and doesn't infect somebody old, something good has happened. The person is now presumably immune to COVID, which means they cannot pass it. Okay, so the, the, the media have been treating it as though each additional diagnosed case is in and of itself a disaster. If a 15-year-old is diagnosed with COVID and doesn't infect somebody who's vulnerable and then has a cold for a week, that is not only not the end of the world, something good has happened. We have moved toward herd immunity. I know we're not supposed to talk about herd immunity, but there's some pretty good evidence that um, herd immunity has already been reached. In Sweden, for example, there, there's, a, there's, a pretty good, there's, there's pretty good evidence that Sweden got it right. Okay, so the death numbers in Sweden are not good. The reason the death numbers in Sweden are not good is because they didn't protect their nursing homes properly at the very beginning. But if you look at their day-on-day cases and their day-on-day deaths at this point, and they never shut down, then what you see is that Sweden is actually now in great shape. Sweden is now in excellent shape. And as I say, they have now been dropping fairly precipitously in the rankings of death per million population. So Sweden started up like near the top of the list. Sweden is now down to number eight. They rank just above Chile and the United States. They have 571 deaths per million, but they're stagnant, which means they're going to stay there now. Brazil will surpass them. The United States will probably surpass them at some point. France, I think, will probably surpass them. I think Mexico will probably surpass them. The Netherlands may surpass them, depending on how this thing washes through the population. Bottom line is, the evidence from pretty much everywhere is that what happens, this thing washes through the population. You either protect those who are vulnerable or you do not. And that's pretty much the only choice you have. Right now, if you look at the daily new cases in Sweden, they've been stagnant. Daily new cases yesterday in Sweden, 139. 139 cases in Sweden. Daily new deaths in Sweden, I'm going to read you for the last couple of weeks. One, two, three, one, zero, one, one, two. Okay, so Sweden's curve looks exactly like you would expect when you reach herd immunity because they didn't shut down. And guess what? Mask wearing in Sweden is actually not much of a thing. They've been doing some social distancing, not a lot of mask wearing. It's below 10% of the population wears a mask. This is not a case that you shouldn't wear a mask when you are in a public area, a crowded area. Sweden has a much healthier population and a younger population than the United States, typically speaking. The rule about masks is that it is meant basically to protect other people from your disease. So if you have COVID, you're protecting somebody who is 60 and obese, or you're protecting grandma from it. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You want to slow the spread. But the notion that we have to prevent 20-year-olds from going to parties or that 20-year-olds partying, like what we saw over the weekend, Lori Lightfoot getting very mad. There was some sort of LGBT party in which there were a bunch of people out at a park and she like shut it down and she was tweeting out about how terrible this was. Meanwhile, the Chicago Loop was getting completely ransacked. Okay, nothing horrifying was happening there. Nothing horrifying was happening there. If there's a block party with a bunch of 20-year-olds who then don't go home and infect their families, it ain't bad. It isn't. This is why, honestly, colleges should be open right now. Colleges should be open. And if 20-year-olds... Want to slow the spread? They should slow the spread. And if they get it, they're going to be mostly fine. And that is not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. Dr. Anthony Fauci even is saying, listen, the virus is not disappearing. He says we should wear masks to reopen the schools, mainly because we are concerned about kids going home and infecting their parents. But if a 15-year-old gets COVID, it is not only not the end of the world, it is not particularly dangerous by any stretch of the imagination. We have not seen any systemic evidence that suggests that 15-year-olds are a dire threat. 15-year-olds are significantly more likely to die of the flu than they are to die of COVID. Here is Anthony Fauci yesterday. Are you comfortable with those words, this is disappearing? Well, there would have to be an addition to that. We could get it to be under control if we do the things that we're talking about. But at 50, 60, 70,000 cases a day, it's not disappearing at the moment. 
No, it's not. Should all students in this country be wearing masks? You know, I'm one, and I've said it for so so long, David, that I really do believe if you, if and, and it's part of what I call a, a comprehensive way to really avoid the things that you were just referring to. There should be universal wearing of masks. Okay, so he says there should be universal mask wearing. Okay, well, here's Vinit Menchari, coronavirus researcher at the University of Texas Medical Branch, told NPR's Weekend Edition that it is unlikely that a vaccine is going to be the end of the is going to be the end of this thing. He says, in fact, there's a good chance that COVID nineteen never fully goes away with or without a vaccine. What does he say? He says that the spread of COVID nineteen will eventually be slowed as a result of herd immunity. Is to NPR's Weekend Edition. He said he'd be surprised if we're still wearing masks and six feet distancing in two or three years. He said in that time, the virus will become no more serious than could become no more serious than the common cold. Why, almost as though everything that we have been saying here on the anti-lockdown right is basically correct. Meanwhile, the media continue to cover for Andrew Cuomo, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in just a moment. Okay, there are new reports out that Andrew Cuomo basically hit thousands of COVID deaths in nursing homes, which is we got to get Chris on this right away when he's not reporting on giant nasal swabs for his bro. Then we got it. We got to get Chris on this right away. By the way, what this doctor says. He says, the expectation I have is the virus will actually become the next common cold. But we don't know what these common cold coronaviruses is if they went through a similar transition period. He says, it's been historically reported there's an outbreak associated for the transition from something like OC43, that is the common cold coronavirus. He said, there was something, there was an outbreak associated with the transition of that virus from cows to humans. It was very severe. And then after a few years, the virus became the common cold. He said, in three to five years, it may be you're still getting COVID-19 in certain populations of people or every few years. The expectation is hopefully it'll become the common cold. Okay, and that'll happen through probably something resembling natural herd immunity. So in a second, we're going to get to the Big Ten. So the Big Ten is now talking about shutting down the college football season. 20-year-olds getting COVID, the the healthiest 20-year-olds in America, right? They're playing football. Getting COVID-19 is not a threat to them and it's not a threat to the country. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, Let us talk about the fact it is deeply important for you to protect your online data. There are people who want to blackmail you with your online data. There are people who want to hack into your online data and then just steal your credit card number. This is why you need PCmatic. PCmatic is a next-generation antivirus designed to stop modern threats like ransomware. Independent testing firm AV Test just named PCmatic as a top performer in the cybersecurity industry, giving it the best performance award for 2019. Only PCmatic has American research, development, and support. PCmatic's competition is foreign-made, often in countries where malware originates. PCmatic blocks annoying malicious ads for hassle-free web browsing and makes your computers faster and more reliable even after years of use. PCmatic protects Windows computers, including XP, Vista, Windows 7, 8, and 10, Windows servers, Macs, MacBooks, and Android phones and tablets, among others. PCmatic is just 50 bucks for five devices for one year, which is a fantastic deal. Full 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ask right now, PCmatic has offered my listeners a free month of security protection with the purchase of an annual license. To access this offer, head on over to PCmatic.com slash Ben again. To get world-class security that keeps your computers running great, go to PCmatic.com slash Ben. That's PCmatic.com slash Ben. 50 bucks for five devices for one year, 30-day money-back guarantee. You got nothing to lose, and you're going to protect yourself from the bad guys online. Go check them out right now, PCmatic.com slash Ben. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to controversy over whether college football should reopen. The short answer is obviously yes, but that's not going to stop everybody from precipitous panic. Precipitous panic first. I need to tell you about our most exclusive membership tier over at The Daily Wire, All Access. All Access members get to join All Access Live, our exclusive live stream Q&A hosted every night by each of the hosts, including me. This Thursday, August 13th, for example, I'll be hosting an All Access Live to discuss my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, 
It has been at the top of the charts since it was released in mid-July. Gotten a lot of amazing feedback, questions from readers. This Thursday night, I'll be taking questions and discussing some of the themes, ideas, et cetera, in the book with all of you All Access members. I also sing songs and, and do dances and, and apparently recite rap lyrics. That might be a thing. Who knows? So if you really, really enjoyed my rendition of WAP, then perhaps you can get other rap songs read aloud by me. All Access membership also features exclusive access to live online discussions with our hosts, writers, and special guests, along with not one but two Leftist Tears tumblers with your membership, as well as early and sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products, which you saw last week at our limited count collector's edition baseball bat. It was available only to All Access members. It sold out in less than 48 hours. So you missed your chance, but you won't have to miss your chance with the next All Access offer. Head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro right now to get 20% off All Access with coupon code ACCESS. You can also get my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. If you want to join the discussion, remember, dailywire.com slash Shapiro coupon code ACCESS to get 20% off your membership. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So alarmism leads to incredibly stupid policy. The Big Ten is now talking about completely canceling their football season. According to the Detroit Free Press, the Big Ten is expected to cancel its fall college football season in a historic move that stems from concerns related to the COVID pandemic. It's done, one high-ranking source in the Big Ten said Monday afternoon. Sources said the presidents were in favor Sunday of not playing sports in the conference this fall. Michigan and Michigan State, which both have physicians as presidents, were among the schools in favor of not playing, according to sources. Multiple sources said early Monday morning, presidents voted 12 to 2 to not play this fall. Though the Big Ten said Monday afternoon, no official vote had taken place. Dan Patrick, who first reported the 12-2 vote, said on his radio show, Iowa and Nebraska were the two schools in favor of playing. Jim Harbaugh, by the way, said the college football should be played. He says, like, these are all young, healthy people. Coaches and players in the conference, including Jim Harbaugh, Ohio State's Ryan Day, Nebraska's Scott Frost, OSU quarterback Justin Fields, have lobbied for the season to commence. Day said it's swinging as hard as we possibly can right now for these players. This isn't over. Harbaugh put out hashtags, hashtag we want to play and hashtag we want to coach. On Monday afternoon, ESPN college football analyst Kirk Herbstreit tweeted, to be clear regarding Big Ten football and their impending announcement, they're looking to delay the start of the season, not to cancel. The Chicago Tribune reported around noon, a top-level Big Ten source texted no decisions had been made, but it is pretty obvious that this is the direction in which they are moving. This is, frankly, incredibly dumb. Okay, the, the fact is that a bunch of, of 20-year-olds playing football presumably within some sort of bubble. And if some of them get COVID, that is not, it's not, they're, they're on a campus, okay? They're not in contact with their parents. They're not going home and being with grandma. Trevor Lawrence, the Heisman winning quarterback, he put out a tweet that said, hashtag we want to play. It says, we, want, we, want, we all want to play football this season. Establish universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA. Give players the opportunity to opt out, respect their decision, Guarantee eligibility whether a player chooses to play the season or not. Use our voices to establish open communication and trust between players and officials. Ultimately, create a college football players association representative of the players of all Power Five conferences. Okay, all of that is good. And President Trump seconded the motion. He tweeted this out. He also tweeted out, play college football. And Dr. Scott Atlas of Stanford, who is an expert, he's more of an expert than members of the media. He said yesterday, college football players are not at a risk. They're at virtually zero risk. This, of course, is exactly right. 
We're talking about people who are physical specimens, who are really super young people. Young people that age, without a comorbidity, have virtually zero risk from this. We have to, again, become rational here. The risk for people that age is less than seasonal influenza. I mean, you have to really look at the data. And you, again, you can't say it's all about the science and then act contrary to science. Yeah, so this point. is a perfect situation here. Uh, but we are going to ignore the science because we all have to pretend that if a 20-year-old gets COVID-19, it is the worst thing that has ever happened to that person, even though, again, the chances of you dying from COVID-19 at age 20 are worse than the chances that you're going to die of flu at age 20. Meanwhile, we are still being told by the media that Andrew Cuomo was a great governor. The gaslighting from the media on COVID is absolutely insane, insane, like totally crazy. We now know, according to the AP, New York's true nursing home death toll cloaked in secrecy, cloaked in secrecy. Why, I was told that Ron DeSantis is the bad guy in this little morality play we've been doing and that Andrew Cuomo was the good guy. Remember, he even put together a creepy paper mache mountain of death and he stood next to it. And then he lectured people with his wall of masks. It's all something from a horror film. And then he put together a weird poster with the boyfriend cliff. Remember that? And that guy was the hero. He was the hero of the story. Well, now it turns out that probably one third of all the people who died in New York State died in nursing homes. Because this tool bag decided it was a great idea to ship people who are COVID positive back into nursing homes. And then covered up the numbers. According to the AP, Riverdale Nursing Home in the Bronx appears on paper to have escaped the worst of the coronavirus pandemic with an official state count of just four deaths in its 146-bed facility. The truth, according to the home, is far worse. 21 dead, most transported to hospitals before they succumbed. It was a cascading effect, said Administrator Emil Fuzayov, one after the other. New York's coronavirus death toll in nursing homes, already among the highest in the nation, could actually be a significant undercount. Unlike every other state with major outbreaks, New York only counts residents who died on nursing home property and not those who were transported to hospitals and died there. So if you called the hospital and you're like, bring an ambulance, and the person died five minutes later in the ambulance, they don't count as a nursing home death in New York because Andrew Cuomo has to cover up the stats. That statistic could add thousands to the state's official care home death toll of just over 6,600. So far, Andrew Cuomo has refused to divulge the number. That's a problem, bro. State Senator Gustavo Rivera, Democrat, told New York Health Commissioner Howard Zucker during a legislative hearing. By the way, Cuomo said yesterday, we don't need an independent investigation into my handling of this. I handled it great. I don't think we need an independent investigation. Who could have predicted this from the world's greatest governor? How big a difference could this make? Since May, federal regulators have required nursing homes to submit data on coronavirus deaths each week, whether or not residents died in the facility or at a hospital. Because the requirement came after the height of New York's outbreak, the available data is relatively small. Even if half the undercount held true from the start of the pandemic, that would translate into thousands more nursing home resident deaths than the state has acknowledged. State Health Department surveys show 21,000 nursing home beds are lying empty this year, 13,000 more than expected. That's an increase of almost double the official state nursing home death tally. So it could be up to 13,000 people died in the nursing homes. That has not stopped Chris Andrew Cuomo from being a damned liar. He said, look at the basic facts where New York is versus other states. This is on a briefing at, on Monday. On Monday, you look at where New York is as a percentage of nursing home deaths. It's all the way at the bottom of the list. Yeah, when you lie about it, that's what happens. When you lie about it, that's what happens. Boston University geriatrics expert Thomas Pearl said, whatever the, whatever the cause, there's no way that New York's nursing home resident deaths are only 20% of the total deaths. That's obviously untrue. So we've been told Ron DeSantis engaged in a cover-up. He did not. Their data in Florida is much better than the data in New York. We've been told that Andrew Cuomo's great at his job. He was not. And then, just to make sure that nobody could actually, you know, speak openly about this, Janet Dean, Janice Dean, rather, on, on Fox News, 
who does some of the weather over there. She had a mom who died in a nursing home facility in New York, and she was going off on Andrew Cuomo's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. She was invited to testify before the New York state legislature about the COVID handling in New York, and then she was uninvited because they were afraid of what she might say about the garbage governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Here was Janice Dean. Assemblyman Kevin Byrne uh, was the one that was, you know, emailing me back and forth and saying that he was talking to the chair and that the chair said, absolutely, she'll get her day on August the 10th today. And then I was supposed to hear something over the weekend. I never did. And I was told that I was taken off the list. You know, I can only guess at this point. I think it went higher than the chair. I think that it was Andrew Cuomo or his administration that decided that they didn't want my voice to be heard. And she's exactly right about that. I mean, obviously, the the media are fully invested in the cover-up of Andrew Cuomo's garbage governance. And Andrew Cuomo was fully invested in that cover-up as well. I mean, imagine if Ron DeSantis were fully, full-on hiding thousands of deaths in nursing homes so he could pretend they protected the nursing homes. Like, full-on hiding it. And everybody knows it. And then the media were like, like, the AP reported it weeks late. We've been talking, by the way, I mentioned this on the show like a full month ago, probably six weeks ago on the show. I mentioned the fact that New York was not counting as nursing home death people who died outside the nursing home but got COVID inside a nursing home. Okay, meanwhile, speaking of the media doing heavy lifting on behalf of the Democrats, so Democrats continue to prevent any sort of deal from being cut to provide some form of relief to the American people in the middle of a middle of a COVID pandemic where governments across the country have basically been shutting down people from working. By the way, worth noting that when we talk about the differential in how states have treated this thing, there has been a pretty widespread differential on unemployment rate by states in the United States. And it's pretty obvious that it has to do with the treatment of COVID. Some in Tennessee, which which really didn't shut down fully, Tennessee, their unemployment rate is like 4.6% right now. That, that was the last I saw yesterday. What you are seeing is unemployment rates by states. It is fairly obvious which states are, are seeing massive increases in unemployment. And it's all the ones that decided to do the full-scale lockdowns, full-scale lockdowns. Like I'm looking at the stats right now. This is from the US, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Sorry, it's Kentucky. Kentucky's June 2020 rate. So Kentucky didn't shut down. Kentucky didn't shut down. Instead, they just did the social distancing and the mask wearing stuff. Kentucky, their June 2020 unemployment rate is 4.3%. Utah didn't shut down, 5.1%. Idaho didn't shut down, 5.6%. North Dakota didn't shut down, 6.1%. Maine didn't shut down, 6.6%. Oklahoma, Nebraska, Montana, South Dakota, none of them shut down. 6.6, 6.7, 7.1, 7.2. Okay, now let's look at the states that handled this the absolute worst. Okay, let's look at the states like Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, California. The unemployment rate in Massachusetts is 17.4%. In New Jersey, it is 16.6%. In New York, it is 15.7%. In California, it is 14.9%. In Michigan, it is 14.6%. In Illinois, it's 14.6%. In Hawaii, it's 13.9%. In other words, the harsh lockdowns, which did not prevent death, hey, they didn't. They may have delayed it a little while, but did not prevent death. It has some pretty significant economic consequences. But we're all supposed to pretend that lockdowns were the solution here. It's, it's pretty incredible. The, the media narrative here is pretty incredible. So meanwhile, while Republicans tried to actually push out some sort of relief bill for people who are unable to work thanks to the government crackdowns, Democrats continue to put out their tr- trillions and trillions of dollars in unnecessary spending. So Mitch McConnell pointed out, the senator from Kentucky, he pointed out that Democrats are now pushing bills that would incentivize people to stay home. According to a variety of studies, the Democrat bill would basically pay four out of five Americans more not to work than to work if it were continued through the end of 2020. Here is Mitch McConnell. 
it disincentivizes rehiring and reopening to pay people more to stay home. Plenty of Democrats said they saw the point and were happy to negotiate on this. The senior senator from Maryland said, quote, we certainly understand we don't want to have a higher benefit than what someone can make working. Oh, no, but the speaker and the Democratic leader overruled them. No deal. No deal. Unless we pay people more to stay home. Meanwhile, Chuck Schumer is, is getting the run of the media for suggesting that McConnell is being political. So you could, like last week, Senator Rob Portman suggested, why don't we just extend unemployment by like a week? Like a week. Let's just keep doing what we did for like a month. Can we do that? Democrats are saying no. Here is Schumer saying, oh, it's Mitch, it's Mitch McConnell being political. It's schools, it's businesses, it's renters, it's homeowners, it's essential workers, it's post office, it's elections, state and local governments, our health care system. Leader McConnell doesn't seem to understand this. He sees everything through a political lens. But we Democrats are looking at the real needs of people, and they're large, and that is why we called for a large bill, because it was needed. It was needed. Because That's why American he decided to hold up a relief package that pretty much everybody agreed on. It was spending a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars. Don't worry, the media will, will provide, literally their entire job is just to provide cover for Democrats like Chuck Schumer and, and, and Andrew Cuomo. It's pretty incredible. All righty, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we will see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is B-Shap in the Hizzy. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, the Michael Moles Show, and the Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Reality bites back as Democrat leaders are forced to admit that violence is actually violence and money is money. Plus, we'll talk about a truly excellent new documentary about Roger Ailes, the founder of Fox News. On The Andrew Claven Show, I'm Andrew Claven. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.